America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy Angel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. Troy, today we have another another revived conversation. is uh, is the name of these style episodes where we talk about something that is worth a conversation regarding church history. We did one a couple weeks ago on flawed men throughout church history. Today, I kind of want to start, uh, and maybe this could be a sub-series within the Re- Revived Conversation series, but things that we have realized are missing from our generation of preaching. You know, we, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. We've seen a lot and lot of sermons from all different types of errors throughout the past 2,000 years. What are they doing that we're not. We want to see the areas uh, that we have kind of shifted for better or worse and analyze why that might be happening. And so um, I don't know. I need to come up with a catchy name for it. I'll probably just be like, what's this is missing from our from missing. our generation of uh, yeah, missing. Yeah, just, just <laughs> I don't know, something revived missing <laughs> revived missing. Growing up, I remember I remember my grandfather taking me to church and talking about old I don't know if if he called them this, but they were often referred to as hell houses. These these events during Halloween, where they would kind of make a haunted house that was kind of hell themed, and uh, the the intent, the goal was to uh, essentially scare young young teenagers into accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, accepting the 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 deliverance out of what the realities of of hell was, and even as a as a kid, I remember thinking that sounded kind of silly to me. I remember thinking like that. That seems like a cheap trick to try to to try to get somebody to accept Jesus. And as I grew up, I kind of maintained that that thought that like these people that preach doom and gloom, these people that preach hell, that you're condemned and that you need to get saved and that you're gonna burn any for eternity if you don't accept Christ. I kind of had this this subconscious thought that like that's not how. I want to share the gospel with people. I want to share the deliverance, the the hope, the the mercy, the joys we have in Jesus, and I want God's love and and mercy towards us to to be what you know converts us to Christianity. You know that's that's what guides us to come alongside Jesus and walk with Jesus and and live in Jesus. And the older I've gotten, and kind of the more, and and obviously going through Bible college with you, Troy, and and uh, doing this show. I've kind of even, you know, we all we're all always developing as Christians. We're always maturing as Christians. We're always kind of adapting what we think about certain concepts and whatnot. I've noticed that, especially in revived thoughts, preaching about hell, preaching about doom and gloom, it was a very popular, common concept throughout the majority of church history, and in fact, really 
it's this current generation. If you look, take I'm gonna put tagging kind of like the last thirty to forty years, right? That we have the church, the American church has really gone away from. Uh, that that you don't you don't see hell houses anymore. You don't see these these. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I still think hell houses are a dumb, silly idea. I still think there are a lot of cheap tricks that you know preachers can use to you know the, maybe aren't the the most honest way to to get someone interested in Jesus. There's there's still flaws in how the gospel is presented. I, I think for sure. But looking at these sermons in, in history and seeing how it affected. The towns and the communities and the people that lived in there, and seeing how and you know it, it, even as part of Jesus's ministry throughout his time on Earth, hell is a very important topic throughout these eras, and it's it's come clear how important these concepts are that we understand them and that they are a part of our society in today's day and age, not to scare us into accepting Jesus, but rather uh, to give us an appreciation from what we're being saved from. And I think that's something that I've had to work hard on on incorporating into my faith, the reality that hell does exist, that our souls are eternal, and that we are all destined for hell. That, that seems obvious to a lot of people, and that's the book knowledge that a lot of people have. But if we're honest with ourselves and we, we analyze our lives, very few, if not, I mean, I mean a minuscule amount of Christians today in America actually live their life like hell is a reality that we are destined for without the mercy and grace of God. I would agree. And I would even say that, that because we do not preach on hell as much anymore as we, especially as much as we once did, that reality that it is an assumed fact that many people believe in is no longer true. I saw one study that said that from, I believe 1990 to 20, you know, around where we are today, uh, that number of Christians, Christians who believed in hell, a real hell that you're going to, drop from i think 71 percent to 58 percent now it's hard for me to understand how someone who believes in christianity how 42 percent of them could say i'm a christian yet i don't believe in hell like to sure. me that is a basic precept of the faith yet that's at least what the studies are showing that there's a large number of people who are no longer getting it and part of it i think comes from that same idea joel that you just mentioned this idea that i'm not going to preach on hell i'm not going to make that the center of what I'm doing. I'm not going to make that a big deal. I don't want to. There was this thing I remember mentioned at Bible college. Like, look, we don't want to scare people in because if we can scare them in, they can get scared out. It becomes too much of an emotional thing. I actually think that this fear of emoting too much um, is actually one of the really big problems because if we're scared that I'm going to make them accept Christ, you know, at, at a youth group or something and fear real quick. And then, you know, once the emotions cool down, once the, the spiritual high of summer camp or whatnot has kind of gone away, that fear is going to leave them. And suddenly they're going to go like, wait, I don't believe that anymore. And they're going to kind of drift off. So because of that, many times pastors kind of preach from a very doctrinal, very kind of head knowledge space, maybe not always a lot of passion. Well, it's very difficult to preach the the, the idea of hell well with no passion behind it because it's naturally going to lead to a lot of passion. And a lot of people are also reacting to the revival movements where people like D.L. Moody and all these guys would roll into town and the first thing out of their mouth was, yeah, going to hell if you're not believing in Jesus Christ and we're going to get that fixed today, right now in this revival tent. And the thing was, these guys were very effective, but people would ask the question, they were effective at the revival, but what about 10 years from now? Were those people still believers? Sometimes they were. And sometimes they were not. So what was going on? Was it because we were preaching hell too heavily on them? Maybe we need to rein that 
doctrine in and see if we're just emphasizing that too much. We need to emphasize the Jesus Christ of it all more. We had a show, um, and we have a show, I should say, Revived Radio, and it ran for a couple months. Elise is working now on Martyrs and Missionaries and was not able to balance both of those shows. Uh, and a lot of people, though, have, I mean, we still receive messages where people go, I really like this Revived Radio. Yeah, it is hard not to notice. The Revived Radio's concept was just taking old radio sermons from like the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s and playing them again. We would kind of update the audio and Elise would do the backstory. Very similar to Revived Thoughts, but just with these old radio sermons. But these sermons were, you know, by the best preachers of their day. And there was no denying that they would come in on hell very strong and very fast. And we would occasionally hear from people we're like, I, you know, I don't know. He was emoting pretty hard. There was a lot of passion. I, I felt uncomfortable. I'm just not, I don't know if I feel okay listening to someone yell that I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe in Jesus. And yeah, in my mind, I go, but you are. Like, as simple as that it may be to hear, you are going to go to hell if sure. you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And if yelling is a bothersome way to hear that i understand so and i mean there are like i like i keep reiterating i think there are good ways to communicate these concepts and bad ways to communicate these concepts i i don't i don't see anything wrong with with a pastor getting emotional about this these types of things the what kind of fascinates me and what kind of shocks me is how it is that kind of aversion that people have yeah like it's it's something in our in in our generation to where we're like, ooh, you know, yeah. like, oh, we're going to go there. Huh? Elise had a crazy theory. Can I share a crazy yeah. theory with what you? what do you got? Okay, so you're going to hear this, and some of you will go, that is the stupidest thing ever. And it might be. But this was her theory, and it was kind of a fun theory. So, like, don't hear this as, like, this is her theory. This is what we think 100%. This, is the right. <laughs> this was kind of her fun, like, maybe it's just, just something chatting. as simple as this. Is like, if you think of movies and TV shows, and you think of a preacher, would you agree that a lot of times when you're imagining a Hollywood stereotype of a preacher, is that person in a Southern accent <laughs> yelling very strongly? And is it a lot of times, are they yelling about hell? And Elisa's like, honestly, what I think of that stereotype, that's what I like picture in my head mm. is the Hollywood stereotype of what church is. And so if you always see the bad guy, the hypocrite, the, you know, the guy who's secretly working with the mayor to steal the child's home, and from cartoons to movies to TV shows, your entire life always looks like the same guy. Kind of villainized. And then suddenly you hear it in a sermon, you're going to suddenly feel like, oh gosh, that's that thing I've seen all my life. And I know that sounds crazy to you, and maybe that is crazy. But it was funny, because when she said that, I was like, you know, I have to admit, though, that is almost always what I see on TV and the movies. That is almost always a stereotypical picture of what the villainous preacher is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. almost never a soft-spoken preacher. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Yeah. And, and I'm sure that's that maybe is one of several contributing factors. I kind of wanted to just kind of chat or maybe brainstorm about what maybe has contributed to this this mindset that we have. And again, we we, we see Christianity becoming more and more progressive every day all around us. All the different, you know, there's so many churches that are leaning more and more to to a liberal mindset. Um, to a more progressive Christianity. And what we mean by that, I think, I think sure. Joel and I would, is that people who look at Scripture and they go, pretty good? <laughs> Maybe not perfect. Look at the yeah. Word of God and they go, I like a lot of this. Right. Maybe I don't like that over here. This, I, I, I think this part where the parables is cool, I'm not so sure how I feel about Leviticus or killing the Canaanites. Right, right. And so there becomes this culture of kind of picking and choosing 
what concepts you think are important, what concepts you think are worth uh, incorporating into your life, and what aren't. And that is very dangerous, you know, yeah. for for a Christian for a walk with God, because where do you draw the line? You know, yeah. there is a point in each Christian's life where you have to go, what do, okay, what do I do? What do I believe? Am I, is this real or is this not? Um, and eternity and where we spend eternity is kind of one of those core concepts that is really impossible to do away with. Like you can't cut out I mean, I guess you can, because there are churches that, that don't... It, it, in general, the the atmosphere of churches don't don't really incorporate eternity into the mindset of how believers operate on a daily basis. It's more, and I hate to say materialistic, even, even on a relational sense, you know? It, it, they're good things. They're promoting good things, you know? Serving your community, loving your neighbors, accepting, loving... You know, it's 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 good to show the qualities of Christ by sure. It's good to show the fruits of the spirits. Those are all things that are associated with our time on earth here. They're all associated with. So when I say materialistic, I'm not talking about buying flat screen TVs. Yeah. I'm saying. I mean, there are churches that do that, but we're not talking sure, about those. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying materialistic in that they are flesh and blood. These are things that you can grasp your head around and concept and interact with on a daily basis. These are the things that a lot. And and, and again, they're good things to preach about they're good things to have that mindset with but in the scale of eternity that whole scale shifts that whole yeah. mindset shifts and that's something that we don't really stress about we don't really talk about a whole lot in today's day and age no. and it affects things dramatically and it, and that actually I like that you said that's a materialistic perspective because that actually is one of the big problems if the people i interact with today and i think about today and i'm talking to today are just material things they're they're attached to their bodies and i'm just thinking of or, how or, we interact today temper like like temporary. what 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 our interaction is yes. today is gonna affect that person yeah. today or yes. you know for their for their yeah. this year or something like that if it's just important today then honestly the most important things i can do is make them feel comfortable and make them feel good and i don't want to bother them too much because i want them to have a good day and i need to edify them encourage them Maybe the last thing you'd want to do is somebody's, ha you know, in your life that you know, if you're just looking at today's perspective, is mention hell because well, that's going to probably upset them. That's not going to be a, sure. a good conversation afterwards. That might really dramatically hurt them, unless eternity is real. And if eternity is real, and these sixty to seventy to eighty years, or a lot less in many cases, are all you have, and then at the end of that, someday God separates, you know, the goats and the sheep, and they're going to different places. Well, then suddenly. I need to make hell a priority and suddenly eternity really does matter one thing doing revive thoughts has interested me is like joel said earlier how many people throughout history the big preachers that you know of they are not afraid to mention hell in fact not only are they not afraid to mention hell that is an important point i mean we can and when you say that and you think of old sermons from the past you probably think, oh yeah like jonathan edwards sinners in the hands of an angry god something like that and it's true and he did mention that we're all spiders dangling above the flame or whatever. And it's interesting because if you Google Jonathan Edwards today, you will see article after article after article that will say something to the effect of, look, Jonathan Edwards is a lot more than sinners in the hands of an angry God. You know, that's just one part of him. Don't get lost in that. And I go, I don't know. We've done several of his sermons. That is his style. And not only was that his style, that was Cotton Mather's style. That was a lot of the guys in that era's style. Spurgeon is very, I mean, listen to that Spurgeon compel them to come in where he literally, we did that one earlier. 
He spent an hour thinking of ways to just say, I will beg you, I will command you, I will encourage you, I will warn you, I will do everything I can to convince you that this is more important than anything because you might not be here next week and you might have already made your decision into eternity and I will not let this hour go without having done everything as a preacher that I know how to do to warn you about hell. Yeah, and it's it's not only on it it's not only effective or sorry, I should say not only affects how we think of interactions with others on a, on an evangelical level, but I think maybe even more so it contributes to every Christian's normal walk with Christ in a way that is dramatic and, and drastic. The, you know, I said at the top of the show, the reality of hell makes us appreciate the grace we have in Christ so much more. Mm-hmm. And so if you take away that reality of hell, then the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God is not as important. It's not as stressed. It's not as emphasized like that. And so that appreciation, that that relationship you have, is your your relationship with Jesus in general is very different. And I would argue produces a softer Christian overall. Yeah. You know, you, you look at the last thirty years, how many Christians do we have that are going hard for Christ? You mm-hmm. know, like that that are where's our Hudson Taylors? Where's our you know George Mueller? George Mueller's, you know, where are those in our current day generation? And they're hard to find. They're few and far between. And I think just the the whole atmosphere of the average Christian's walk is they're not as invested of Jesus because they don't need to be as invested as Jesus because the realities of eternity are not realities to them in their mind. So if you're listening at this point, you're kind of like, okay, well, you guys are the church history guys. You know, you aren't theologians. That's true. You notice we haven't mentioned like the Greek word for hell or any of that. I do have, you know, some verses I can maybe mention and point to, but you know, we, we tend to at our studio leave the theology to do theology, no pun intended, because that is a <laughs> theology podcast or, you know, the guys who do theology, we tend to stick to church history. So the answer, then we had to ask ourselves, you know, well, where did this start? And why did this occur? I'm just going to kind of run you through like a quick a quick thought for you, because I think actually what we found surprised us a little bit in how directly linked this is to two things. A, there have always been groups that come around and undermine the idea of hell and eternity and judgment. It happened in the 1600s, and it led to the Age of Enlightenment. It happened in the 1700s, and after they kind of de-emphasized hell and the Trinity, a bunch of Unitarians came out of that, and, you know, uh, deists who didn't really believe eternity mattered. It's a real problem, because once you start to de-emphasize hell and a few other Christian concepts, you pretty much have no fear of what will happen to you afterwards. In the 1800s, that occurred again, um, and that led to theological liberalism, which led to all these people de-emphasizing the Bible, and ecumenicalism, which led to the idea that there is all these different roads to heaven. So this is not the first time that the concept and and idea of hell has been kind of hit. So that happens, and that's happening again. And, you know, the intellectual people, the really smart scholarly seminarians who write all these books that all these people buy. I read one by uh, one interview by a guy named Bart Ehrman who's like, Jesus never preached hell. He never preached. This is a whole new thing. Christians came up with this, blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of the interview, the guy's like, by the way, are you an atheist? And he was like, yes, I am. I'm like, well, you, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he's, I mean, that's just a flat out. Yeah, wrong. He's, he's wrong. wrong. Like, and, if you read through Jesus, and that's that's the crazy thing about it, is a lot of these progressive churches, they focus on the life of Jesus, and they say, hey, we don't need the rest of the Bible. Yeah. We'll just model our lives under how Jesus served. Uh, 
And Jesus talks a lot about God's judgment, talks mm-hmm. a lot about eternity. He talks a lot about hell. But yeah, even even oh, yeah. within Jesus' ministry, they're going to pick and choose what they want. And there's also this idea that the Old Testament never mentions hell. And I am sorry. It may not be as direct as they would like. You know, it might not be a, a theological glossary where it's like, hey, turn to the back of the page and you see hell definition here. It doesn't maybe work like that. Most of the things of our faith don't tend to work that directly, although some of them do. But when it comes to the concept of hell, it comes to the concept that there is a place people go, I would encourage you to look for it. It is there. Yeah, it's the, the Bible makes it, and again, there there is a lot of debate over what hell is, you know, and, and even how our concept of hell has changed over the years and, and how culture and entertainment has shaped what it is. You know, it's most certainly not a, a, a man in red tights with a pitchfork. Definitely not. Uh, but the Bible's very clear that there is an eternity, and we're either going to spend that eternity with Jesus in heaven or in a place where we are eternally separated from God, in a place that is yeah. very clearly described to be I'll a, read, a place of pain and torment. I'll read to you something from Isaiah. At the very end of Isaiah, which is, I will note, in the Old Testament, <laughs> um, it says, uh, at 66, 22 through 24, and that, this wasn't even planned. This was just in my Bible reading yesterday, and I was like, see, it's right here. Um, For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your descendants and your name endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come down to bow before me, says the Lord. Then they will go out and look at the corpses of the people who have rebelled against me, for their worm will not die, and their fire will not be extinguished, and they will be in abhorrence to all mankind. So there's going to be a time in the future where there's a new moon, new everything's been made new, and the people are going to go look and see a bunch of dead bodies that are burning forever and rotting forever and worms forever. That's nearly identical to the same expressions and descriptions as used in the New Testament, but it's in the Old Testament. Yeah. And so this concept is there. It's present, and it's been there from, I mean, a very early time, from the first time that the snake looked at Eve and said, but you will not surely die. That's it's always been this idea that there is not a consequence for sin, and there mm. is. And again, and I don't, I, I admit, I don't know what all that is going to entail. I don't know what all those different errors, all those dis- different descriptions, how that's formulated. You know, again, there's doctrinal people that break that stuff down, but it's clear that it is not a place anyone yes. wants to be. It that's is, it is exactly right. Right, you, you <laughs> are going to be very miserable there, yeah. and that's where everyone is destined to outside of yeah. the gift. The free gift of Jesus. There's people who are going, who I read in preparation for this episode, there are people like, well, there's no hell. There's annihilationism where your your soul will fade. You know, how many years will that take? I don't know. It could be a thousand, it could be a hundred, it could be one year, it could be a million years. But at some point, your fate, your soul will have been so burnt to a crisp, it doesn't exist anymore. And I go, okay, let's say that's true. And I don't think that's at all scriptorally backed. But even if that were true, you can have heaven or you can be a burnt, crispy sure. soul that disappears after who knows how many infinite years of pain. I mean, the con- uh, the choice, even if that were the alternative to an eternity in hell, does that really sound better than heaven? I mean, okay, what are we arguing here? Mm-hmm. And I still don't even think that has any scriptural backtation. The, the idea that even that would be better, and that a lot of people are arguing it. But the other, we told you there was two sources of this of this that really hits our uh, today. And the other problem is 
the seeker-friendly church movement. Now, we don't cover much about this movement in Revive Thoughts because anybody from that movement, you could go listen to their sermons yourself. It's, it's really... It's new. It's, it's pretty new. But um, a lot of this comes from this mega church thing. And it was interesting, just the idea of the mega church, because Charles Spurgeon had a gigantic church, easily 10,000 attendants on a Sunday. That would, in a sense, be like a mega church, right? Yet nobody calls... Charles Spurgeon, a megachurch pastor, or at least I've never heard anybody describe him that way. A lot of the guys we've had on our show will have thousands and thousands and thousands of members in attendance, but we don't call them megachurches for some there's reason. Kind of, there's kind of a, a stigma associated with yeah. that. And yet, today, we have no problem with talking about the megachurch model and how there are these churches that are just gigantic. What is one of the key differences is that at some point in the you know in the in the grand scheme of things people and i won't maybe mention their names just because that's not that's not our show it's not what we do per se we're not calling people out we're just mentioning the way things are but there are people who came in they started building these churches building these tv stations these radio building this ministry around themselves and they said our church services and what we're doing at church is not for the christians not for the believers we have small groups for you we have other ways of reaching you and discipling you. You will get your meat somewhere else, but our services are for the lost, so we're going to play music that the lost like. We're going to preach ways that the lost can be affected. It's going to be more entertaining, more draw-in kind of stuff. And all of this is going to be done in an effect to to draw you in so that you want to hear more about the gospel. So, And, and this is the most charitable read, is that you will, because you like this, because this is fun, because this isn't how church was done when you grew up, you will enjoy this. You'll want to learn more about God. And the goal their goal, at least stated, is then you will become a Christian through this model, and then you'll eventually hit small groups and stuff like that. You'll get connected, and that's where you'll get discipled and become a disciple. That's that's like the this is the ideal of what a mega church would be. And that might that might even be how a lot of these start off. Yeah, you know, I I think it's very I, most I don't know. there might even be some big churches currently doing oh, that. Oh yeah, and, and it could theoretically be there, effective. There are some great churches that that are mega churches that yeah. have that have lead pastors that yeah. i am in a huge supporter of uh but i think we all know what we're talking about when we <laughs> when we talk about that when the priority becomes trying to grow as a yes. church then there is no doubt certain things hinder the growth of a church and or, or at least that's that's what their what their internal models or structures mm-hmm. are saying. What, how can we make this well, a friendly church? To the culture doesn't grow. like certain words, and so if I get up and talk about hell, maybe just because of that Hollywood thing that we mentioned earlier, it's going to scare people away. Mm-hmm. They don't like that, so we'll just leave that. The irony is that in an attempt to bring lost people in, we've left hell off to bring them to Christ. Yet the most like the most important thing I'm not saying it's the only thing you can say to somebody. But one of the most important things you can tell somebody who's lost is, "Hey, there's a heaven and there's a hell." Yet mm-hmm. we're creating services for the lost where the concept of hell, judgment, sin are on, not on the table because we don't want to scare them away. And 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 the the problem even goes deeper and bigger than that because in the event that these people are becoming believers, they're becoming lukewarm believers mm-hmm. at that, and you know a. Long term in large groups, lukewarm believers, there's usually conflicts that arise. There's mm-hmm. usually quarrels um, amongst churches and stuff like that that I think hurt the church in more effective or more, you, you, you know, kind of just the cliche of the, the gossips in the church or something like that. And it doesn't have to be within a church body. It can be with just when, when your walk with Christ is not genuine, mm-hmm. then how that affects how you interact with the world around you 
I think damages your reputation or damages God's reputation mm. more and hinders the growth of the church and hinders the body of Christ even more so than uh, than you not being a believer at all. I think that's, th- that's kind of harsh to say, but well, and I think there's also another concept here too, which is uh, why am I not telling you the full gospel? Why am I hiding hell from you? Why am I kind of shading that and hoping you find out in small group? But then by the time you get the small group, do you want to teach them about hell? They're already Christian, so let's just I mean, it ends up almost not getting taught at all. And again, same with Judgment Day and all these other concepts that are very important to Scripture. A lot of verses that voted to them in Scripture, not very important to the way we teach Jesus today. And the reason you're hiding it is because you're afraid. You're afraid that if I say that to you, if I tell you this concept, you will not want to keep going. You'll, you'll back away. You'll go, oh, this hurts my feeling. Whatever it is, I'm afraid of how you'll react to the biblical concept of hell. But that means that I'm starting from a place of preaching the gospel out of, from a fear of you. And if, even if you do come to Christ in that model, even if Jesus uses that kind of church to save you, those Christians are also going to be scared of other mm. people, and they're going to live their lives in a constant fear, because that's what they were saved to, of what other people think about them. And what other, we have to, yeah. Everything they do is going to be hinged on this fear of how are others going to respond to me, and they're going to be just as controlled by that fear as that leader that they're following is, and that's not good, because I don't know if we paid attention to Revive Thoughts or Marge of Missionaries and the shows that we do, but one thing that these guys just continuously come back to me and impress me with is just how fearless they are. They will take hits. You know, I think about George Whitfield when no church would open up to him after he came back from America. So what did he do? He put a couple barrels together, stood on them in the middle of the market square, and just started preaching the gospel right there to the people who were shopping. And he caused, I mean, that helped lead to one of the biggest revivals of all time. He didn't let the fear of what others were going to think of him stop him. And John Wesley, who didn't want to do it, he said, that's so backwards, that's so old school. And George Whitfield said, it's working. Said, All right, I'll go do it too. Boom. He also had an effect. It, the, these people were just, they put the fear of what others thought about them underneath what God had called them to do. And we're doing, I think, church almost the exact opposite in yeah. that way. Yeah, no, it's definitely flipped. For me, my prayers have incorporated this concept of God make hell more real to me. You know, help help me to understand and to believe that this is a reality that and the reality that we live in, and that through your love and your grace and the mercy you've shown us, that we are saved out of that. Uh, that when it comes to again quality of life, when it comes to that that walk with God, I think it's a super important piece. I feel it can be stressed in more people's lives. We hope you enjoyed as much as one can a discussion on <laughs> hell. Uh, it, I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that there's an interesting phenomenon I've noticed with the Revive Studios, and that is when we put up an episode, if we put the name of it out there as hell, <laughs> sure, yeah. people are not going to click not it. Successful. It's not Like we said, people have an aversion to this. If I put out the episode and it's called, you know, Spurgeon compelled them to come in. It's the same thing where he's saying hell is on the line. You have to come into the church. Despite the fact that the name is different, it's going to get way more down. People are going to be way more interested in it because there is such an aversion to that. We, I mean, it, and it could be part of the reason this is just as simple as it is. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to think about these heavy subjects. We like to stay entertained and enjoy life. And those things are kind of downers. It could be just as simple as that as part of what left led to this too. At the same time, though, 
Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope it made you think, made you ask questions. Because we mentioned earlier, over almost half of people who claim Christianity would say they don't believe in hell. Of that half that's left over, how many of them are going to churches where they can remember recently hearing about hell? And some of you are going to sit there and go, at my church all the time. If you go to a church like that, instead of emailing us or writing a comment and they go, this doesn't relate to me, my church does great. Praise God and thank him that you go to a church like that because I promise you there are people who are listening right now and there are others who are going to say that actually is a problem at my church. That they, I think it's great. I love what they're doing, but they don't mention this concept of hell very often. And that is a real that is a real thing we have to get through in the church and have to start embracing again is that this, you know, quote unquote mean scary thing is also something God has commanded us to it is in the scriptures. We are to preach on it and, and bring it up as much as anything else we are, and I it, think. Yeah, and it also has a happy ending. It yes. has it has peace and it has deliverance. It has the, the solution to the problem there. The point, the, yeah, the exactly. The point of hell is not just to sit there and be sad. The point of hell is to then embrace a thankful, grateful spirit for what God has saved us from. However, I also have something else this episode reminded me of, which is the fact, Joel, that this is the last episode that you and I are recording in the same room together. Don't scare people like that. <laughs> My goodness. It's the last episode that you and I will be in the same space, the same, the same geographical space. location as we record Revive Thoughts. It's been over two years that I've been in Kansas City that we have been recording this show, which means like literally over 100 episodes in the same location together. Yeah. And that is changing as of, the, you know, this literally in three days. If you're listening to this in real time, it would maybe even already have happened. I'll be heading to Cambodia. And so from here on out, my wife and I will be doing our recordings and our podcast stuff from way over there on the other side of the world from you at so, the same time. We haven't talked about uh, which time zone we are going to. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, it's only America is the greatest country. So we should, Ooh. you guys should get up in the middle of the night to record with me hmm. here in America. Luckily, we're exactly right now 12 hours a difference. So are we? As long, your mornings are my evenings and vice versa. So noon here for me, midnight for you. Yeah, and we'll, not, uh, ooh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so that is going to be a thing that we have to embrace. Be praying for us as we have to, you know, as we're dealing with all these changes that will you know, occur with all like this. We're going to have to do these things online, find good recording sessions, that kind of stuff. We hope you will be. But at the same time, it's just a little, yeah, be a little bit patient. We yeah. uh, don't, um, don't worry though. Revive thoughts Our our plans are to keep the yeah. show going. Our plans are to keep expanding. We, we, I mean, we are blessed to live in such a technologically yeah. advanced era where we can run at a multi-show organization, uh, being on opposite sides of the planet. Yep. And, you know, in some ways, we're probably even going to be more efficient than we are. It could happen, <laughs> with, honestly. With I could see that. Being in the same city. So, um, Revive Studios isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, we actually, and I didn't I didn't want to spoil this for you, but we are about 300,000 downloads across the studio now, wow. officially. Exciting. So, I mean, you know, it's just fun that doing this project with you, something that started years ago, now it's going to be moving, you know, internationally <laughs> And yet, at the same time, we can look at how many people have listened to the show, how many people are we're still getting constantly new people streaming and saying, I can't believe I just found your show through Google, through a friend of mine, or we're getting emails that say something like, you know, I, I found your show a long time ago, and then I started actually listening to it. Oh my gosh, this show's actually really good. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I get that email where it's like, I heard about this show, and then when I actually listened to it, I realized, oh, it's actually really enjoyable. Um, we're excited. It's been a lot of fun, and at the same time, it is a little sad. There's a, definitely a part of me that's sad that it's leaving the same physical location, but there's also a part of me that's excited to see 
what it will look like in two years from now when we've really mastered the international side of it. Yeah, yeah, it'll uh, entering a new era of Revive Studios. But um, like I said, the show uh, has big plans as we as we continue to grow and uh, are looking forward to what it's going to be like in the future. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Revive Thoughts. We always encourage you to share. And, you know, it might be this might be the episode that you share that some people listen to and go, no, that was really important. I needed to hear the church history side of how hell has kind of disappeared. Or this, you know, might be an episode that totally depresses your friends. Find out by posting (laughs) it and telling them to check it out and let's find out what they think. Uh, This is Troy and Jill, and this is Revive Thoughts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.